This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review some of the week's top stories and get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about the state of schools returning amid COVID-19 concerns and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at TheCenterSquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Illinois House Minority Leader Jim Durkin released a statement calling on House Speaker Michael Madigan to step down immediately from his legislative seats and for the legislature to vote on a new speaker that require a special session. Asked Thursday why he would rely on Madigan to call a special session, Governor J.B. Pritzker said he's not relying on Madigan, but didn't say if he'd call one to focus on ethics. There's also more that we need to learn, and the U.S. attorney clearly is on a path here. We're going to learn more. There is no doubt about it. And from that information, it will inform us how to write the laws to prevent that from happening in the future. Republican State Senator Paul Shimp said enough's been made clear and urged for a special session. The checks that uh, that ComEd wrote, they were cashed. The, uh, the, the cronies were hired for these jobs. Uh, that did take place, and this... Uh, this culture of corruption that we have in Springfield, that is a leadership failure on the part of Speaker Madigan. State Senator Andy Menar told WMAY Radio he'd like to see a special session of the legislature to deal with ethics reforms. You know, the time has come to do them. These things have been around for a very, very long time, and I, I think most of them would receive bipartisan, broad bipartisan support from both sides of the aisle. But Menar said Madigan should only step down if he's indicted, something he said could be coming at any time. Pritzker Thursday said the speaker needs to speak up. I I mean, I think the speaker has an enormous amount to answer for. There are questions that the public needs to hear the answer to. I do too. And so that's what I would start with, questions, you know, about exactly what happened here. Madigan hasn't been charged in a crime, but he has been embroiled in charging documents the U.S. Department of Justice secured against ComEd. The utility agreed to pay a $200 million fine for taking part in a patronage scandal with Madigan Associates in exchange for favorable legislation. In a statement Tuesday, Chicago Democratic State Senator Heather Staines and ComEd's agreement paints a sordid picture of bribery, influence peddling, and insider dealing at the highest levels. She called on Madigan to resign as speaker, also from the Democratic Party chair. She said while Madigan hasn't been charged with a crime, public servants in such leadership roles should avoid even the perception of wrongdoing. Peoria Republican U.S. Representative Darren LaHood said from what he's seen in the charging documents against ComEd, more is coming down the pike for Madigan. 
I would anticipate from reading this indictment and, and seeing what's transpired thus far that there will be an indictment that will come forth here in the next 30 days. Um, I also anticipate that there will be people at the highest level of Commonwealth Edison and people within the state of Illinois and former elected officials, uh, some of which are cooperating with the FBI to come forward and testify against Madigan. And again, the feds don't normally bring a case like this unless they have um, what they believe is a winnable case. Madigan says he's done nothing wrong. Add a little more than half a million dollars to the $22 million that Madigan has at his disposal for politics, and possibly even for legal fees. Madigan's the chairman of four political campaign funds. Illinois campaign finance expert Kent Redfield said Madigan has a lot of options. You can move an awful lot of money into the system and then move it around, private money. Uh, and it would not be obvious just looking at the basic campaign finance law. On Tuesday, the Speaker's personal campaign fund received about $555,000 in one day, mostly from a Chicago-area labor group. Madigan's used hundreds of thousands of dollars to cover legal fees in the past. It's possible he could face additional legal bills in that ComEd patronage scandal. Republican State Representative Deanne Mazaki wants to prohibit campaign funds from being used for such purposes. HB 4481. It prohibits a political committee from making expenses to provide a defense in a criminal case or a civil case relating to official misconduct. Madigan, again, not been charged with a crime, but has been implicated in the ComEd Deferred Prosecution Agreement released earlier this month. A professor who studies fraud and corruption says it's good taxpayers are seeing actions against corrupt practices in Illinois state government, even if right now it's focused on a utility that agreed to pay fines for its part in a patronage scandal. During an Illinois Commerce Commission hearing Wednesday, David Glockner, Exelon's executive vice president for compliance and audit, said it's obvious policies to keep corruption from happening didn't work. But in retrospect, I mean, it's clear that those policies alone weren't enough. Uh, and the interactions with public officials are an area where we need to give employees more detailed guidance. David Parker, director of the Center for the Study of Fraud and Corruption at St. Xavier University, said it's good that ComEd is being held accountable. If they don't hold up their end of the deal, they can always you know, be prosecuted and all. So this is a step for them, um, to hopefully, to have more robust compliance programs. Parker said the action against ComEd pulls one strand, weakening the web of corruption in Illinois politics. Pritzker has asked Wednesday to square up his comments, merging some elected officials in hot water months ago to resign while giving Madigan the benefit of the doubt, saying that he should only resign if allegations of his role in that scandal with ComEd were true. Well, I have been clear that, you know, when there is a uh, raid, uh, when there is a, an indictment, you know, I have called for people to step down from their positions or to resign. Um, so I, I, you know, have said the same thing. Uh, differently, I guess, here. Parker said the inconsistent messages don't instill trust in the taxpaying public. I don't think so. A lot of sidestepping and all. I think you, you tend to get a, a d diminishes confidence. Meanwhile, COVID-19 killed any chance Illinois lawmakers to send a fair maps initiative to the ballot this November. But an advocate says the current controversy with ComEd should be enough for them to pass a law. Cole Lauterbach has the latest. Considering that 2018's Fair Map initiative was successfully killed by a former ComEd CEO and two lobbyists tied to the utility and House Speaker Michael Madigan, Change Illinois Director Madeline Dubeck says Illinois lawmakers need to take it upon themselves to pass legislation that would do the same. It's time for Illinois lawmakers 
to prove to the people that they are doing right by us. The Fair Maps plan would take the legislative map drawing out of the hands of lawmakers. Dubeck says it won't hand Illinois Republicans a majority, rather make elections more competitive. She says to look to California's maps in 2010. And as a result, um, the, the maps produced more Democrats in office instead of fewer. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Well, it appears Friday night lights this fall have dimmed. Kevin Bessler has more. Governor J.B. Pritzker has released a set of restrictions on high school, youth, and adult recreational sports. I know our hearts break when we hear the words restrictions, especially when it comes to our children's love for their sports. Whether this year is their first time on the court or it's their senior year season, this isn't news that anyone wants to hear. The governor said each sport will be categorized under three risk levels, high, medium, and low, determined by the amount of contact between athletes. Football has been classified as a high-risk sport, so no contact practices and training are allowed, but no games. Other high-risk sports include wrestling, hockey, and competitive cheer. Basketball, volleyball, and soccer are considered medium-risk, but games are still disallowed. The Illinois High School Association has announced delayed starts for most fall sports, including football, which will now be played in the spring. Barry Riley, superintendent of schools for District 87 in Bloomington, is not surprised that there will be no football this fall. No, not at all. I think uh, when you look at sports, football, volleyball, those are sports that clearly kids are going to come into close contact with each other. The IHSA has moved back the starting date for most fall sports, including football, which will now be played in the spring. I'm Kevin Bessler. Advocates for seniors living in long-term care facilities haven't been able to make unscheduled visits to nursing homes since mid-March, and they're concerned about the health of those isolated inside. Chuck Miller, Deputy State Long-Term Care Ombudsman in Illinois, said because of state restrictions for COVID-19, they haven't been able to physically visit with seniors inside their dwellings. He said using video chat isn't the same. No, because when you walk in a facility, you know, you can see, smell, um, and hear things. And now we're have to look through windows. Miller said they understand the importance of not spreading COVID-19, but it's difficult to be an advocate under such conditions. States allowing outdoor visits, but Miller said that's not enough to observe the entire scope of the quality of living conditions for seniors across the state. There's going to be a big hit on the mental health of all of our residents because they're isolated, um, unable to see us or family. So and that's just another obstacle we've had to deal with. It's unclear when such guidance for indoor visits for advocates and families would be released. The governor won't say why two employees who oversaw the state's COVID-19 response in long-term care facilities left their positions. The Illinois Department of Public Health confirmed this week two officials with nursing home oversight roles been removed from their positions. One left state employment. The other was put on leave. Pritzker wouldn't elaborate when asked about it Thursday. You know, we don't discuss employment matters uh, like this. You know, the information will be, you know, available as it comes forward uh, under the normal processes in state government. With more than half the COVID-19 deaths occurring in nursing homes, AARP Illinois State Director Bob Gallo said it's important there be public hearings the entirety of the issue. There's been a lot of gaps and we've been learning a lot as we go along. So the faster that we have um, all the knowledge we possibly can, the sooner we're going to get this under control and get back to something that um, that's resembles normalcy in our society and in the facilities that care for people.
Of the 7,478 COVID deaths recorded so far this year, more than half, or 4,062, were from long-term care facilities. Meanwhile, the governor said no area has tripped the wire yet to revert back to stricter COVID-19 regulations, but some spots are getting close. He pushed for local officials to increase their enforcement efforts on his mask mandate and capacity restrictions on restaurants and bars. Speaking of such restrictions and the pandemic's impact on the economy, another 32,500 people applied for unemployment benefits in Illinois, bringing the state total since the beginning of March to around 1.5 million nationally for second quarter which was the three months of the COVID shutdown. The country's GDP plummeted 33%. The Illinois Chamber of Commerce said the crisis isn't just about the virus and state officials can't overlook the economic devastation from government actions. They urged for the next minimum wage hike in January and for the vote of the progressive income tax in November to be suspended. Those are the top stories of the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary. From the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Illinois in Focus's Crosstalk segment, commentary powered by the Center Square, Illinois. This is Chris Krug, publisher of the center square here in illinois and joined as usual by my friend and colleague dan mccaleb executive editor of the center square dan what is going on doing pretty well chris as july winds down and august is almost here or as you like to say march 112th yes um, so the calendar continues to turn yeah and that you know i mean we're still in a kind of an odd spot um COVID-19 continues to be the news of the day, day after day after day after day. And now it's looking like we may not be ready to go back to school after all. So Governor J.B. Pritzker had said earlier this summer that he was all in for kids going back to school. Um, Different organizations at the national level, um, pediatrics society or CDC and said like, Hey, you know, we got to figure this school thing out because kids were going absolutely bonkers in the spring and getting them back into the situation is imperative to their development, social, emotional development. Certainly, you know, we learn better. I think you know, when we're taught something by a person and have the ability to interact and ask questions, it's not looking so good though, right now in Illinois, it's very, very muddied. Yeah, we maybe we should have invited uh, our Illinois uh, news editor uh, onto this program. He he <laughs> he went off in our uh, morning uh, uh, Illinois news budget meeting. He had just listened to his school district's uh, plans for reopening it, which is um, not reopening at all, going to remote learning uh, only uh, exclusively. He of course has two, or he has two young children, um, so that's going to impact. Uh, uh, his his life, his work life. Um, it's difficult when you have uh, elementary age children to work from home and teach your students or help your students learn because uh, teachers don't want to go back to school. Well, yeah, it, I mean, it's a it's a huge issue that has ramifications for everyone. And I think, you know, Brett Rowland, our Illinois editor, one of the questions that he had that was sort of perplexing was, 
you know, it, it, uh, it sounds as if his local school district is going to keep on ancillary staff, including bus drivers and whatnot, and continue to pay them, not furlough them, which is confusing. Um, and his local superintendent said that uh, they would just find something else for the bus drivers to do. But and that's a pretty heavily, you know, unionized environment. I don't even know what the other things to do might be. Um, I guess they could be washing buses, but that's probably somebody else's job too. Of course, Illinois has uh, a, a crazy amount of school districts across the state, more than 850. So it's hard to keep track of what every school district is doing. But most in my area, with the exception of um, my my specific, my daughter's specific school district, and I think your uh, daughter's uh, school district, uh, which is an elementary and middle middle school district, most have decided to start off the fall school semester with remote learning only. It's been very confusing from a parent's point of view because you've got a couple of different things that are happening. You've got the local school boards that are talking about what they might do or might be able to do. And at the same time, you have these options and choices sort of going away. I think I shared with with the group uh, a few weeks ago that it was like 93% of parents in my district were in favor of sending kids back to school either wholeheartedly or uh, felt pretty good about it. And 7% wanted to keep their kids at home. Okay. I, I actually, to be honest with you, and I fell into that category, that option was taken off the table completely. And then we went to a, a sort of a new survey where they asked us if we like this two, three hybrid model. That's, you know, you kids go to school for two days a week, one week, three days a week, the next week, or remote learning, or they put homeschooling on the, on the ballot, which, you know, on the survey ballot, which to be honest with you, I don't know why the school even would present that as an option. I mean, if, if you're homeschooling, I would imagine you probably have already made a decision like that. That's just kind of part of what it is you want to do. I think it represents a small percentage of people. Well, it does. I don't fully believe that when this comes to a full stop, which is now only two and a half or three weeks away, I think my kids are supposed to go back to school somewhere around like the 19th or 20th of August. Uh, we're taping this on the 30th of July. Um, I'm going to guess that there's not going to be an option at all and that we're all going to open up regardless of where we are in the state with remote learning. I certainly hope not. Uh, my daughter returns to school on August 12th and right now the plan is the hybrid model, which you described. Um, half the student population goes on Tuesday and Thursday, half goes on Wednesday and Friday, and then they rotate Monday. So as you said, uh, one week they'll go two days, one week three days, and and when they're not physically in the school buildings, they'll uh, rem uh, they'll take classes remotely from from home. Um, but at, as you said, who knows? I mean, this is a, this thing constantly uh, is evolving, and more and more, unfortunately, more and more teachers unions, the state's two largest this week, just came out and said that they'd strike. They'd go on strike or at least consider going on strike if um, they had to, God forbid, return to the classroom and do their jobs. Yeah, it's it, it's really frustrating. I mean, and, and, and look, I get it. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty about, you know, about COVID-19 and and susceptibility and this, that and the other thing. I mean, it's it's you know, it, it's it is a, a tangled mess. Um, and certainly, you know, some of the lack of personal responsibility 
uh, it would seem to be um, in particular among younger people has created some uh, testing spikes around the country, which is creating that much more unrest. We, we just don't we just don't have a direction that that's the that's the fundamental problem in the state of Illinois. Um, and and frankly, you know, in, in other states around the country, we just don't have a direction. We just don't know what we're going to do next. Right. Well, and, and let's let, let's run it back to this this um, this new phrase that's come up since since the pandemic uh, in March, quote unquote, the who is an essential worker? Of course, that was uh, arbitrary when Governor Pritzker and other governors around the uh, the country started putting in these stay-at-home orders and and um, uh, restrictions on businesses. Um, healthcare workers, you know, were deemed of, of course essential workers. Grocery store workers were considered um, essential workers. Well, why aren't teachers considered essential workers? What are the healthcare workers and the grocery store workers who have uh, children? Um, and 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 it goes far beyond. On that, you know, police officers, firefighters, etc. Um, what are those folks supposed to do who have young children, elementary age uh, school children? How are they supposed to go to their jobs when their children aren't going to work? Or you're going, going to school? Yeah, they're not going to school. It's uh, I mean, it's a it's a really tangled mess, and and so you know, I don't anticipate these next three weeks being terribly smooth. Um, and I think that there's going to be a lot of um, just misunderstanding. And um, I, I, you know, one of the questions that this brought up, and you know, I talked about this, you know, maybe last week or the week before when we, we were talking here on on Illinois in Focus, is you know, the, the the bureaucratic setup of schools in Illinois is really something else. I mean, as you said, there's 850 plus school districts. And each one of these school districts has effectively been left to make up decisions uh, or make up sort of guidelines and then uh, set decisions and create local policy for how kids are going to be going to school. We have in the state a regional superintendent uh, of schools uh, for each of these regions. And, and I, I think it's typically like a county geography. I mean, that, that's the way it is up in the, in the, you know, in the, in the collar counties, maybe. Um, they did a few, they did several years ago, consolidate some of them into more regional right. superintendents, but I've been an advocate. I mean, it's, it's a worthless uh, layer of bureaucracy because they don't do anything. Um, yeah. I mean, ma- monitoring the annual school uh, spelling bee, I think was like kind of like the biggest public facing thing that, that they did here in McHenry County. And I mean, give me a break. Yeah, and, and they've been silent. They've been largely, in fact, I can't, uh, I don't know that I've heard from our regional superintendent, and I haven't seen any news stories uh, hearing from other regional super superintendents about what they think should be done or what kind of guidance they're providing to the, the school districts in their territories. So now you've got, you know, local superintendents that are out there on their own that have n- no public policy um, skills. I mean, they just do not have the ability. They do not have the ability to do the things that, um, you know, that 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 uh, with regard to public health, um, they don't have the background for it. And and now they're making public health decisions, you know, at the local level. It's just, ah, it's dumb. You know, yeah. I'm just not feeling it. As you said, it's 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 definitely a tough um, situation. Whatever decision uh, local superintendents make, local school boards make, it's it's certainly it's going to make some of the population happy. It's going to make some of the population extremely uh, angry. Um, I I do think though I I do prefer the the regional uh, model because as we've said 
all along during this pandemic. You've got Chicago, of course, where 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 the outbreak was worst, uh, part, particularly early on in, sure. the, in the pandemic. And then you've got more rural downstate. They should be treated differently. They should be treated um, regionally. But at the same time, you know, why aren't the regional superintendents providing guidance to the local superintendents? And and why are the with the the, the school districts that um, surveyed their parents? Why are they ex- ignoring the survey results? Yeah, it's bananas. Totally bananas. And in the meantime, you know, they're trying to get ahead. And I mean, you know, credit where credit's due. There's trying to, uh, the, the Governor Pritzker is attempting, at the very least, to offer some guidance on sports in school. It's kind of a cart before the horse deal, because if you can't get kids back to school, you're not going to be able to get them onto the field. But the uh, Illinois High School Association um, had a fairly um, clear uh motivation uh, behind moving a number of key sports, including football, to spring. That'll be interesting. Yeah, so essentially Governor Pritzker um, um, categorized each high school sport or separated each high school sport into one of three categories um, based on risk, what he considered were high-risk sports, medium-risk sports, and low-risk sports. And the IHSA used that uh, guidance uh, to decide what it was going to do, par- particularly with its fall sports program programs and um, football, wrestling, hockey, uh, and competitive cheer uh, were deemed uh, are sports that are deemed high uh, risk uh, sports because of the physical uh, contact involved in playing uh, in in playing them and. Uh, it, it, it looks like those sports, their schedules are going to change. Football is going to move, for example, um, which is the, obviously the most popular high school sport in the in the state, is going to move. Its it season start uh, from August to February of 2021. Mm-hmm. And at this point, who even knows if that's going to happen? Right. Right. I mean, it's a very flu- it's a very fluid situation. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the idea of creating some level of hope around that is a positive. Um, however, the execution of that is, is going to be, you know, remains to be seen. And, and in the backdrop of all this, you know, we talked about schools and regional superintendents and then sports. And one of the things that's percolating in the background, you know, is that, um, teachers unions might just pull the plug on the whole, the whole thing, which, you know, you, you know, you talked about teachers being essential, um, whether they are, or whether they are, are not. I mean, I would view them as being pretty essential, um, but they might just say, hey, you know, we're not going to teach. And if, if they're on strike, they're also not going to participate, I would assume, in an e-learning environment. Right. And in, in which case our 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 students, our children will fall either even further behind than they did in the spring when at least there was the um, remote learning uh, going on. It was far, far from perfect, but at least it was something. And now you have teachers threatening uh, to go on strike where there would be no education. Next week, we could be recording this podcast and things could have already changed drastically. So yeah, it's like we said, it's a fluid situation. So, you know, one of the things that also remains open and ongoing would be the federal investigation uh, into corruption uh, here in Illinois. I mean, this is a story that, you know, had some legs at the beginning of this calendar year and was quelled by uh, everything COVID. But um, public official A, who has been identified as House Speaker Michael Madigan, 
um, still remains in the headlines. There was a story last week uh, about, uh, of course, you know, ComEd was has already has already um, uh, reached an agreement with the with the U.S. attorney, uh, and is going to pay a substantial fine. It's not as huge as you might think it would be, considering the size and scope of that operation and the amount of revenue that it drives. Uh, AT and T has already been referenced as sort of the next area where they're 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 going after. Um, you know, deeper levels of information. And, and in, the, in the meantime, the Illinois Commerce Commission um, is having hearings on ComEd, and there are some pretty clear conflicts of interest that exist that I think speak to the levels of entanglement of business as usual in Illinois, in Illinois government. Yeah, the uh, the Illinois Commerce Commission is holding these hearings, and their first one was uh, was this week, Wednesday. We're recording this on uh, Thursday, July thirtieth, and the chairperson of the Illinois Commerce Commission is one Carrie Zalewski. Uh, Carrie Zalewski is the daughter of Michael Zalewski, a, f- a former Chicago alderman, uh, who ComEd has admitted to paying as a ghost subcontractor to endear themselves to Speaker Madigan. Mm-hmm. So you have the daughter of a former Chicago alderman who was paid as a ghost contractor by ComEd, and by that I mean he was paid to do nothing, right. um, is is overseeing this hearings into ComEd's essential guilty plea, or the, it's deferred prosecution is, uh, is uh, uh, the actual term, mm-hmm. uh, into their pay-to-play uh, pay scheme. Uh, uh, doing what they can, hiring people close to Speaker Madigan uh, to, de- to endear themselves to him so they can get legislation they want passed. Just to clarify a little bit, it's his, da- it's his daughter-in-law, but I mean, you're talking about his daughter, you know, his, his, you know, but still, I mean, a pretty tight familial relationship. I mean, it's, it's, it's in, it's in the family. I mean, you know, there's still hanging around 12 point five, six, seven million people in the state of Illinois. How, how is it that the ICC, um, you know, commissioner's uh, chair is is headed by, you know, former Madigan foot soldier? Yeah, the obvious and proper thing to do would be for her to recuse herself um, from these hearings, uh, not saying that she needs to uh, step down as chair of the Illinois Commerce Commission, there's an obvious conflict of interest here. The proper thing to do is to recuse yourself and let and appoint a, 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 a deputy chair uh, to to oversee this. But she refused to do it. There were calls for her to step down, mm-hmm. uh, and she re- she refused to do it. Well, I mean, because that's the question the entire the entire process. But that would be an admission of guilt, right? I mean, and that's the that's the way that this that this is headed. It's like you know that this is what are you talking about? You know what what might I have to do with all this? This has been sort of the, the, the posture of, of, you know, of the Speaker of the House and, and um, you know, stretch this thing out. I mean, I, if, if he does get taken out of uh, out of his role, which we're going to talk about in a second, uh, I don't think it's going to be, you know, wakes up one morning and says, you know what? You're right. Enough of this. I'm going to just, uh, you know, move on to the next uh, phase of my life, wherever that might be. I, I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. So but, but it just it, it makes the entire process these this these hearings into comeds uh, peddling or meddling into uh, Illinois affairs. Uh, it, it's a sham. The process is a sham. Right. Well, I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of argument there. 
You know, I mean, um, so meanwhile, at the same time, you know, you've got a handful of people now have had uh, the courage uh, to, to say, you know, uh, and it's talking about like people within the legislature and Democrats starting to say, uh, yeah, uh, maybe Mike Madigan should step down. But uh, not a lot of voices and a lot of people playing duck and cover on this one, including people who have taken millions of dollars from Madigan to keep the machine turning here in Illinois. For the first time this week, I think it's the first time anyway, a Democratic representative who works in the House under Speaker Madigan um, called for uh, the Speaker to resign both uh, from his legislative position and from he's also the uh, the head of the state Dem- Democratic Party. Uh, she recalled she called for him to resign both um, positions. And uh, we've had some Democratic state senators um, call for Madigan to resign. Of course, Republicans have been saying for years that he uh, that he should resign. But uh, this is the first time since the ComEd scandal uh, became public that a Democratic state representative uh, was bold enough to step forward. Right. Right. So um, doesn't seem to be super influential. We're talking on the, uh, we're talking, of course, on Thursday. Earlier today, just to bring in a similar situation in Ohio, um, Ohio House uh, House Speaker Larry Householder was indicted by federal agents a couple of weeks ago um, in a very similar scheme. An energy company there um, uh, essentially bribed um, householders and others uh, to pass similar uh, legislation in Ohio that was beneficial to the energy company. And the Ohio House Republicans today voted to remove uh, him from office. Um, Completely contrasting situations. Um, Here you have most Democrats in the House enabling Speaker Madigan. In Ohio, um, you have House Republicans ousting their leader, who is also Republican. And and one of the other oddities of the week was, you know, at a time where Michael Madigan is uh, under, you know, probably the greatest level of scrutiny uh, in his storied political career, he continues to get campaign contributions. $555,000 uh, in a single day, uh, most of which coming from uh, a labor organization. Yeah, it just it, it just goes to further show how um, tightly connected organized labor is to the political machine here um, in in Illinois. Emma, uh, Madigan has been tied closely to labor unions. Um, uh, they donate money to him. He gets legislation that they want passed. It's one, one of the reasons um, why our public employee unions have the worst funded pension system uh, in the country, because years and years ago, they advocated for um, um, unaffordable pension benefits. And it just only continued to stockpile, snowball, if you will, to, to the point where they're 100, about $140 billion underfunded. And uh, there's been calls for pension reform. There's been calls to get rid of the automatic 3% cost of limit living increase every year, um, um, despite where the economy's at. Um, and it, it, Madigan and other Democratic leaders in the state refuse to take it on. They'd just rather continue to the state mounting debt. Yeah, you know, I mean, we talk about the amount of money that exists in Illinois politics. I mean, that, that's a, a story that comes up, you know, like when someone's running for governor, they spent X to to win. And you know, 
I mean, in the last election, it was, you know, gobs of money. I mean, literally, it was, I, I believe, the, the, the richest gubernatorial campaign in U.S. history. Um, Mike Madigan is sitting on $22 million. So he has $22 million at his disposal uh, to do whatever he might want to do. And, and this is someone who comes out of a very small uh, lockstep district, you know, over near Midway Airport, $22 million. I mean, you know, he's got a relatively small um, geographic area, uh, but he has control over this massive pile of money. I mean, he spent something like, I mean, what's the number now? He spent like in his own defense going back to last year. I mean, as, as this investigation has gone on, I mean, in terms of legal fees, it's, you know, well, through, like, through, I think through the first million dollars. Yeah. Through the first quarter of the year, I think it was about $1.4 million that he spent in his, in campaign contributions meant to help get people elected. He used in, instead on his own, on attorneys to defend himself from ethics violations, from sexual harassment, uh, accusations. Um, I'm sure more money is going to be poured in since the ComEd, uh, announcement came out, uh, going to be poor, poor, uh, used to pay for uh, his defense uh, on attorney's fees. It's just, it, God, Illinois' ethics laws are just. Well, they're non-existent. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we went almost two years without, uh, an, you know, an, uh, uh, a legislative inspector general. So all, a, a lot of the Me Too cases that, you know, kind of came to a head were already well on the clock and expiring by the time that they were evaluated. So, you know, uh, a lot of people skated on that. Um, it's, uh, it's a mess. And it wasn't, it wasn't brought up as part of any discussions, any meaningful discussions, you know, in the truncated uh, spring session, you know, which was compact into uh, compacted into like, what, three or four days worth of work. Right. Um, I don't suspect, you know, when, when the legislature gets together by whatever means they get together in the fall for a veto, uh, the veto session, that it's going to be uh, a hot topic. Yeah, um, Republicans have called for um, a special session now. Uh, right. Essentially to, to deal with ethics. How's that going? Yeah, Governor Pritzker refuses. He, he says one thing uh, out of one side of his mouth and something completely different out of the other side of his mouth. Of course, uh, Governor Pritzker has said Madigan should resign, essentially, if he's guilty, if the if the accusations are true. Yeah, but, he true. Won't, but he won't put any pressure uh, on Madigan, on the speaker now. That's just, I mean, it just lacks for accountability, you know, yeah. is, the, is the issue there. Um right. So, you know, I mean, um, it's, I don't know, it's, fa it's, it's, it's fascinating and frustrating at the same time. I mean, you know, in theory, the, the government of Illinois is, is supposed to be, you know, to, to benefit the people and, the, and the, the welfare of the people of the state of Illinois, the financial health and, you know, our ability to, you know, to, to be free and, and, and certainly to have whatever services we need um, to be, you know, streamlined for our benefit. Um, this does not feel like that. 
Uh, it's, it's business as usual in Springfield, despite uh, despite the federal corruptions probe, despite the sexual has- harassment allegations, um, you know, from the, over the last couple of years. Uh, it just it, Michael Madigan has consolidated so much power um, uh, within his office that uh, people are afraid of him, essentially lack backbone. Well, and that I don't think that's going to resolve itself from the inside. That that's an external thing. A um, couple other random thoughts. Uh, you know, here in Chicago, uh, the shootings continue. Uh, it, it wasn't even a, like a remarkable weekend, you know. And still, you know, you you had a double digit, uh, and I think you know it was in the forties this weekend of uh, people shot. Uh, had another young child uh, get shot. The feds came to town and uh, arrested, uh, I guess, a kingpin from uh, the gangster disciples. Um, but, you know, it, it's like there just doesn't seem to be that much local reporting on what's going on, you know, with regard to that process coming out of coming out of Chicago. It's uh, it doesn't seem to have. The, the kind of impact that maybe we thought it might. Yeah, I was happy to see that the uh, that the feds made that arrest. Of course, it's just one uh, small piece to the entire uh, problem in it. But it's also sad that it took the feds to make the arrest. And Chicago police have been dealing with this uh, this gun violence for decades. Um, this year, it, 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 you, you, it's almost like some people have become immune to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think we talked about this previously, but I hear all the time, particularly, you know, from faith, from friends on social media, what's going on there in Chicago? Are you, are you guys OK? Um, I don't know. Well, I got I got one question for you, and I'm sort of going to throw you on the spot on this one. I was thinking about this this past week. Illinois legislatively, not through referendum, but legislatively became the first state in the union to legalize recreational marijuana. And one of the big pushes behind that was to be able to get to the tax revenue side of it, which is has been plentiful. I mean, it's not the kind of money that's going to lift the, lift the state of Illinois um, out of the financial problems that it has, but it has proven to be a, a legitimate source of revenue. I would venture to say that marijuana sales through the limited number of uh uh, dispensaries, because there's really still, I think, only a, a handful of the number of licenses total uh, that are open and o- operating. Um, do you think that there is any correlation between the legalized drug trade, marijuana trade in, in Illinois, and the amount of gun crime that's happening within the city of Chicago? Is there any cause effect there? Huh. Haven't thought about that much, but I, I can't imagine there is because granted it's, it's extremely, or it's, it's the number of uh, gun crimes in Chicago has increased this year, but it's always been a problem in Chicago. Right. Um, well, it's gang related. I mean, and I mean, I don't think there's anybody in, in, in Chicago, you know, in, in law enforcement who's backing away from the idea that this is gang related. What is the primary business of, of gangs in Chicago? Well, drug no, sales. No doubt they're, they're drug sales. Now the, the, 
when they implemented when they legalized marijuana in Illinois, they decided to tax it so high so that there's no doubt there's still a black market. But I don't know how legalization of marijuana correlates to gun violence, gang violence in Chicago. What what are your what's your take? Well, I just wonder if, you know, if the if these like uh, I mean, the dispensaries, you know, are spread out around the suburbs and downstate. I just wonder if maybe, you know, people who used to venture into the city to make their purchases or had somebody as a go-between making those purchases for them, if those routes have been shortened to legal dispensaries and if the competition at the street level uh, in the city of Chicago has gotten larger. Now, I mean, you can't walk into a dispensary and buy heroin. Thank goodness. You can't buy anything, you know, any, any, um, you know, outside of a THC or a, a THC CDB product uh, in a dispensary, to the best of my understanding. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, still very hard drugs that, you know, that that people couldn't buy through the state. But with the state taking some portion of that drug trade away, has that competition? Has this become a supply and demand issue? And has that manifested itself in more turf wars in the city of Chicago. What is dry? Here's the one thing that, that I just don't understand. Okay. I'm, so I, I raise that as a theory, purely as a theory, asking a question. I'm just curious. I don't have any, I don't have any data on that. I've not seen a story written about that. I don't, but we're not asking why, why is it in the city of Chicago this year that gun violence is just completely off the hook at a time when people are um, dying, in particular in minority communities, in metro cities, and probably should be taking precautions that, that are not being taken to the degree that they need to be taken in these communities, why do we have so many people that are out? And why do we have so much gun violence, specifically this year, at a time where most people I know are laying low. They are not going out. Well, it's an inter- it's an interesting theory. I have to believe personally um, that uh, the pandemic might have more to do with it than the legalization of marijuana. People were locked in their homes for most of March and April, and things started to ease up a little bit in May, late May uh, and June. Um, of course, the summer, the summer heat in Chicago, every summer you see a spike uh, in gun-related crimes. This one has certainly been uh, much higher than previous years. Um, but I don't know. It's an interesting theory. I have, I mean, I really, I'm not trying to, to, to stir the, you know, to stir the pot with that. I just, I just simply wonder if there's any kind of correlation whatsoever. I mean, I, I did say at the beginning of this way back when, when this was patched, passed legislatively, it'll be interesting to see how this turns out and what secondary effects there are. I mean, we, I think take it for granted that, you know, you put a law in place and it has no effect, like it, it takes place in a vacuum. We've done X, so X will not have any connection to Y or Z. I personally don't believe that, that any time that you put a law on the books or take a law off the books, that there are, it's like throwing a rock in a pond. There are ripples. I don't know that there's any correlation between legalized marijuana sales and violent crime. Um, I don't think that you've seen that necessarily in, in other cities, although 
crime in Denver, I believe, is up. Street-related crime. And I mean, looking at a market that's very specifically connected to legalized marijuana, I think street crime in the city of Denver is higher now than it used to be. Um, I don't have that stat at my at my hand, but I believe I've read that. You're not you're talking year over year or uh, each year since because because Denver, Colorado legalized marijuana what four years, years ago four years ago four years over ago. that time. I think 2020 is going to be a bit of an outlier just because of COVID nineteen. So any differences in trends probably tie back in some percentage back to the the pandemic right now there could be other factors involved in that uh, perhaps legalized marijuana um, has had some uh, impact on Chicago gun violence um, but it's it's going to be tough to determine just because of everything else that's gone on this year yeah it's it's not like there's a control group no. so anyway I just thought that was just a thought that had crossed my mind this week and um, because I don't know that we're asking why uh, why in Chicago are things so up for grabs? I mean, with regard to, to gun violence, why are we having you know an unusually high year at a time where, in theory, people should be spending more time at home um, if they're taking personal responsibility and, and protecting themselves and protecting their families? So it seems to be sort of out of sync. Yeah, I can't just dis- can't disagree with you. Um- but again, just pushing back a little bit, I think we're going to throw out 2020 a year or two from now and all the statistics on things such as gun violence and whatnot, because it's just an outlier. It's just a crazy, strange year. And who knows? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Well, Dan, it's good to talk with you. I appreciate the time. You enjoyed it as usual. For Dan McCaleb, this is Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois in Focus Crosstalk segment commentary powered by the Center Square, Illinois. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, we'll continue to unpack the unfolding investigation surrounding ComEd and a patronage scandal, giving bribes and jobs to those close to House Speaker Michael Madigan. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more Illinois stories and commentary online at thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.